What is going through this? What is going through your head? Let's show this clip right here. Um. What's happening? What's going through your mind? I don't think he knows how to deal with a girl from the Bronx. We'll see. She knows how to deal with a dude from Brooklyn. I'm Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report. It's February 9th, 2023. And yes, I live in Florida, but I was born in Brooklyn, 1976, long time ago. We're live streaming on Rumble YouTube and locals. Subscribe if you haven't. Uh, today we will be doing a RubenReport.locals.com community Q&A. But before we get to that, it's happening, people. You say, what's happening, Dave? Well, people, do you know what's happening? No, we don't. Could you tell us? Okay, fine. What's happening is what I have been asking for, pleading for, begging for, hinting might happen. It actually is happening. The Republicans are starting to go on offense. There is momentum. They've got the House. They're saying the right things. And now it's not just talk. They're starting to do the right things. So as you guys may have seen over the course of the last 24 hours, as clips are leaking out, there have been some congressional hearings where they are grabbing the executives over at Twitter and they are asking them the direct questions related to shadow banning, related to algorithmic manipulation, related to their relationship with the CIA or the FBI or other government agencies. It is all happening and we got a bunch of clips to show you and the real question, what, always comes, what it always comes down to is, okay, we can do our little dog and pony show, we can pull these people up there and they can testify under oath and they can lie, they can manipulate, they can obfuscate, but will anything come of it? That will be the real challenge for the Republicans. So I'm gonna go hard on this thing today because this can't just be, oh, we bring you guys up, we do the show. The clips go viral, Jim Jordan's, you know, crushes Vijaya over at Twitter or Lauren Boebert demolishes uh, Yoel Roth, another one of the Twitter guys. It can't just end with that. It has to end with something with more teeth. And that really is the challenge. There is another hearing going on that I think will start while we're doing this live stream. So obviously we'll get to that, uh, hopefully some tomorrow and then into next week. And then I think we're gonna have some of the players on the show. So Lauren Boebert uh, just agreed that she'll come on next week. Uh, we're gonna talk to Jim Jordan. We're working on McCarthy, which I think we're gonna do uh, live in DC. And I just think the thing might be shifting a little bit. All we want is a little competency, a little accountability. You guys don't have to be great. You just gotta be, just be a little bit better and maybe even potentially good. And if you could do that, that's the path. That is the way, as they say. Uh, before we get to any of that, let me talk to you guys about gut cleanse protocol. Uh, you know, a leaky gut is caused by a toxin that's in all of the, quote, healthy foods that scientists have been telling us to eat with a fraudulent food pyramid for the longest time. And this toxin, according to Dr. Gundry, a world-renowned cardiologist, is affecting millions of people worldwide. Warning signs include weight gain and fatigue and digestive discomfort and stiff and achy joints, even skin problems. These side effects are often mistaken for normal signs of aging because leaky gut develops over a matter of years and sometimes decades. The good news is you can easily be fixed from your own home. It's very simple. You just have to know which foods are actually healthy and which contain this hidden toxin. After years of research, Dr. Gundry has decided to re release an informative video to the public free and uninterrupted showcasing exactly which foods you need to avoid. So you can find this for yourself at gutcleanseprotocol.com slash Dave. That's gutcleanseprotocol.com slash Dave. Go watch Dr. Gundry's video at gutcleanseprotocol.com slash Dave. And now back to me. All right, here we go. So before we get into the good stuff, you know, you know that if Congress is going to have a hearing, you know something stupid's gonna happen. It's baked into the system. And when you say stupid and you say Congress, the next thing you should be thinking are three letters, A-O-C. So here is Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or as Dr. Gadsad calls her, Alexandria Occasional Cortex. Here she is basically defending censorship and kind of calling for more of it. Here we go. I'd like to submit to the record a Washington Post article now warning about Hunter Biden laptop disinformation, the guy who leaked it. 
here's the deal. Before I even get into my questions, I think that the, the story here with the, New York, uh, with the Washington Post reporting is that what they're saying right here, when the New York Post first reported in October 2020 that it had obtained contents of a laptop computer allegedly owned by Joe Biden's son Hunter, there was an immediate roadblock faced by other news outlets that hoped to corroborate reporting, as many did. The newspaper wasn't sharing what it obtained. New York Post had this alleged information and was trying to publish it without any corroboration, without any backup information. They were trying to publish it to Twitter. Twitter did not let them, and now they were upset. I believe that political operatives who sought to inject explosive disinformation with the Washington Post couldn't get away with it. And now they're livid, and they want the ability to do it again. They want the ability to inject this again. So they've dragged a social media platform here in Congress. They're weaponizing the use of this committee so that they can do it again. A whole hearing about a 24-hour hiccup in a right-wing political operation. That is why we are here right now. And it is, it, it's just a, an abuse of public resources, an abuse of public time. We could be talking about healthcare. We could be talking about bringing down the cost of prescription drugs. We could be talking about abortion rights, civil rights, voting rights. But instead, we're talking about Hunter Biden's half-fake laptop story. I mean, this is an embarrassment. No AOC, you are an embarrassment. And I don't care how many times you swing your hand and shake your head and any of that stuff. You are going out of your way to make sure that the very people in government and in tech who are silencing citizens and politicians alike, we'll get to that in a moment, you are going out of your way to make sure they can do it again. Because the only way you and your stupid regressive ideas gain any traction is if you can censor people. There is so much ridiculousness in what she just said there. First off, she keeps calling it an alleged laptop, an alleged story. It's not alleged. It is confirmed. Even the freaking leftist lunacy of the New York Times, even they have confirmed it. Nobody is doubting anymore whether the laptop, the Hunter Biden laptop, which he dropped off to the repair shop, is real, whether the images of him naked, smoking crack with the hookers, all the shit, nobody is debating whether it is real or not. It is real and it is relevant to things going on in our government because he was also renting for $50,000 a month his dad's house. His dad happens to be president of the United States and it turns out that in the garage next to the Corvette are a bunch of classified documents. So these things could not be more relevant, but she can't have you actually keeping your eye on the ball. She has to make it seem like this is some sort of crazy right-wing conspiracy. She also says, uh, well then, okay, so she says it's alleged. She also says it's a half-fake laptop, meaningless dribble. It is real, legit, period, you know it. Uh, and then she says that they're weapon, it's the Republicans who are weaponizing this committee. And like almost everything she says, that is a complete flip on what the truth is. The Republicans are using this committee to try to figure out how the government was involved with Twitter and how Twitter itself was using uh, a certain set of policies publicly, but then privately doing completely other things, meaning shadow banning, depressing uh, views, making sure that certain people were promoted and certain people were hidden and everything else, and how that might be related to an election. And you would think, that these clowns like AOC and the and the uh, era uh, the shifts the Adam shifts and the Pelosi's you would think all of these people who screamed about big tech manipulation and Russian bots had somehow created a situation that got Donald Trump elected well that's completely fallen apart but you would think that they felt that Twitter was so important Twitter was such an integral part of the election process that maybe it is important that we now know that there was government collusion and that activist employees were silencing people. But she doesn't want you to know that. And she, she is a liar and a fraud and an embarrassment as a public servant. Just an absolute embarrassment. There's no other way to put it. But let's just do a deep dive on all, all of this because this didn't just magically appear yesterday, right? This, this, the questions about all of this stuff have been going on for at least I'd say in, in the public sphere about five or six years. You can go back, we'll, over the next couple of weeks, we'll show you a whole bunch of interviews I was doing five, six years ago. Uh, there's one particular one I did with Eric Weinstein, where we basically, and mostly Eric, uh, but I'm asking the question, so I guess I was kind of leading him in a certain way. Uh, he basically just completely 
uh, uncovered exactly what Twitter was doing. It wasn't that hard to find. Like we were asking all the right questions and it was obvious that they were, sh they were shadow bans. There were obvious backdoor ways the government was getting involved and, and a whole bunch more. But uh, when it really burst forth into the public was in 2019. You might remember this. Vijaya Gade, who was the other, Yoel Roth was one of the main guys uh, testifying yesterday. He was the trust and safety guy. Vijaya Gade was uh, the lead counsel lawyer over at Twitter. You may remember when she went on Joe Rogan's podcast, 2019, and Tim Pool was there. Tim, Tim is an actual journalist. He's become a, a superstar in this space. Uh, and Rogan kind of just sat back and let, and let uh, Tim Pool do the work. Uh, but here they are, Vijaya, Rogan, and Tim. And here is Vijaya basically lying about content moderation, shadow banning, et cetera. At what point, would you guys restrict someone from sharing like false information about vaccines that could get someone hurt? That is not a violation of Twitter's rules, no. But I, wanna, I wanted to just kind of uh, get into that statement you made about misinformation and whether or not you'll police it. So I, think, I, I think that the tough part of this is really, and love to have a discussion about this, is do you really want corporations to police what's true and not true? Absolutely not. That's a really, really yeah. tough position. But to you guys do in. that. We try not to do that. We don't want. Man, Pool, hope you're watching, dude. Credit where credit is due, but you guys do it. And she, her answer, we try not to, which if you just have half a brain, you would think, well, we try not to, so that obviously means that we do. And if it means that you do, then that means there are mechanisms baked into the system at Twitter, and you can extrapolate that into Facebook and to YouTube and everywhere, every one of the freaking apps on this thing, that they have ways of silencing people. They have either kill switches or they can just shut off certain accounts, shadow ban, depress the algorithm, whatever magical phrase, whatever newfangled phrase they wanna to use to come up with that. So at that moment, at that moment, we try not to. Everyone should have known that's what they do. And when they say we try not to, now I actually believe to some extent that they probably, a certain amount of them probably didn't want to go ahead and censor everybody. There's gonna be some evidence of that we're gonna show you in just a moment. Uh, but they all have their political biases. And as Elon Musk is now well aware, having fired half the company and still having a whole bunch of leftist activists there, the stuff, the leftist ideology, the woke nonsense started getting baked into the code. So people did not even know when they were being banned. There were the, this is why they brought me to Twitter a couple weeks ago. There were the obvious labels on certain people's accounts. One of them was uh, my friend, Charlie Kirk. His account had been labeled with, you know, right wing or something to that effect. A, a label that was, could be seen by any of the programmers there. What they found on my account was it was way deeper. There was nothing obvious on my account to show why it was shadow banned. It was way deeper in the code. And the more they dig, the more they find. I actually spoke to one of the engineers yesterday. He said, they're still finding more stuff on my account. And I'm not making this about me. It was, they used my account as the example because I was ranting and raving about it. But now they're finding this about all sorts of people, including Lauren Boebert, Congresswoman Lauren Boebert from Colorado. And if you wanna see, when I talk about Republicans, are getting balls. They are starting to fight back. They are not taking prisoners. And again, we'll have to see what they actually do about it, not just talk, but watch this. This is just great. So this is Lauren Boebert talking to Yoel Roth, who is the head of trust and safety at Twitter regarding her own personal, uh, personal and also public government Twitter account. Mr. Roth, while at Twitter, how many meetings did you have with the FBI? I couldn't say for sure, but I More would say- More than 10? That's a reasonable More than 20? estimate. I couldn't say for sure. More than 50? That seems a bit high. Many meetings with the FBI. Well, we know, uh, uh, how many FBI agents worked at Twitter while you were there? I don't believe any active FBI Former agents. Former FBI agents, how many worked there while you were there? I'm aware of perhaps two. Well, we know of at least nine um, because they started the BU group chat, BU for Bureau. Okay, so we got more of that, but I wanted to stop there because there's a couple things going on here. First off, there are former FBI employees and there were many of them. She knows of at least nine. There are probably more that were working at Twitter. I think some of them may still be at Twitter at the moment. So now the question, that, that isn't inherently, you can work at the FBI and then work at a private company and then bounce around. You can do all those things. So that isn't inherently evil unless part of what they were doing there, and it does kind of sound like it, was working for the FBI, right? Doing the, the, the work of the FBI while, while no longer technically working at the FBI. That's an issue. I do want to offer the slightest defense of Yoel Roth here. 
because he, if the FBI is calling you, right? If the FBI started calling me and being like, Dave, we want to talk about what you're doing on the show. Well, I'm the boss. I'm the boss of this thing. So if that then changed policies of what I do here, or what I talk about or what I don't talk about, it would all fall on me. Yoel Roth, he was the head of trust and safety, but he was not the CEO of the company. So to just pile it all on him might be a little bit much because Jack Dorsey was the CEO for all of this. Jack Dorsey, who had been hauled in front of Congress and, and basically lied to Ted Cruz. And I once tweeted at him, do you shadow ban a simple yes or no will work? And we have the tweet. He says, no, one word, that's it. I actually texted uh, Lauren right before the show. I thought maybe she would, uh, uh, she's working on it. Uh, we're trying to find out if they actually tried to get Jack Dorsey, who's no longer at Twitter. Those guys aren't there either anymore. But if they tried to get him involved in this hearing as well. Anyway, it's not to excuse Jack, uh, Roth from talking to the FBI, but I think the next step in this thing, Republicans, you want to you start doing the right thing? You got to haul some FBI representatives in front of Congress and have them testify under oath. What were you pressuring the Twitter people to do? Because the point is, if the FBI shows up at anyone's office, and puts pressure on someone that's just an employee of a company to do something, they might do it because they don't want to get in jail. They don't want to be what, be blackmailed. God only knows what these freaking people are doing. So you can't just blame that on him. You have to find out what was the FBI doing. That's, that's the next step in this. Uh, but here is Boebert going off on Roth, Vijaya Gade, uh, and this guy, Jim Baker, who is the counsel, who actually was, I believe, part of the FBI, if I'm not mistaken, over their violations of her First Amendment speech. Mr. Baker said that there was no collusion with the federal government and Twitter, but Mr. Baker, that's you. You are the collusion between the federal government and the FBI. And now with it, this is such a problem because we're seeing censorship all over. Mr. Roth, Ms. Gaddy, did either of you approve the shadow banning of my account at Lauren Boebert? Yes or no? No, I did not. Not to the best of my recollection. Well, let me refresh your memory because on March 12th, 2021, and Mr. Roth, I know you looked at it because fascist Twitter 1.0 had a public interest exceptions policy, which means for members of Congress to be shadow banned, it had to go before you, Mr. Roth. So I'll ask again, did you shadow ban my account? Yes or no? Again, not to the best of my recollection. So the answer is, Mr. Roth, yes, you did. I found out last night from Twitter staff that you suppressed my account for this tweet. It's a freaking joke about Hillary Clinton being angry that she couldn't rig her election. It's a joke. But in response, being the sinister overlords that you all are, you placed a 90-day account filter so I could not be found. And now we see here that Twitter staff said the visibility filter on my account excluded me from top searches, prevented notifications for non-followers, and much more. This is considered an aggressive visibility filter. You silenced members of Congress from communicating with their constituents. You, you silenced me from communicating with the American people over a freaking joke. Now, who the hell do you think that you are? Man. What do they call that? What do they call that kind of woman? That's like fed up soccer mom or something, whatever that is. But that is the attitude Republicans need more. So again, you can either put all the blame on Yoel Roth or on Vijaya Gatti or this guy, Jim Baker. Jim Baker, by the way, I mean, he's the, the most interesting piece of this thing, even though people talk about him the least. This guy was the general counsel at the FBI. He was a lawyer, like a big time, big shot, high powered lawyer at the FBI. And then you know what his job was at Twitter? General counsel at Twitter. Huh, you think, you think something's going on here? So again, I don't think you can put all the blame on these people completely because there was pressure from the government. That's why this is a, a First Amendment issue. If Lauren Boebert was just screaming at them, you guys as a private company did this. Well, there's something to be exposed there, right? Because for years we've been all screaming about Russia collusion on all these Russia bots that somehow manipulated the election, which of course all turned out to be a lie. So she would be well within her right to be going after Twitter for whatever they're doing, whatever their information they're manipulating. That doesn't make it a First Amendment issue. It becomes a First Amendment issue when government agents are pressuring these people to do things. And when you find out that there are at least nine former FBI officials working at the company, that the general counsel of Twitter is the former general counsel of the FBI, I mean, it does not take a rocket science. 
scientist. I don't know how many little things I got to draw together to give you some kind of picture that's going to make a little bit of sense here. Uh, Boebert continued. Election interference? Yeah, I would say that that was taking place because of you four sitting here. The Hunter Biden laptop story was suppressed. A sitting member of Congress was suppressed. A, a sitting president was banned from Twitter. You know, I bet that Putin is sitting in the Kremlin wishing he had as much election intervention interference as you four here today. We've heard about threats to democracy. Well, what about shutting down a duly elected member of Congress? This is fundamental to our nation's governance, and you all attacked that very foundation. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And look, there is that risk of the scapegoat thing, and I want to be very careful about that. But if they did this in coordination with the government, then we have a, an epic scandal, and it seems like we do have that. Uh, did they on their own decide that the Hunter Biden laptop thing had to come down, that the story had to come down and you wouldn't be able to share it or anything else? Or did, say, it have something to do with the 51 former intelligence officials who all said it was Russian disinformation, right? Remember that? New York Post had a great cover where they showed all of their faces and they all completely lied about it. It was true. So that's why this is so important because what we are seeing here, it's not just that, that bad actors at companies can do things and we don't know what they're doing. And by the way, that's still happening at Twitter right now. They know that that's still going on there. There are bad actors. And there's also, even if you fire all the bad actors, you still got stuff in the code, right? You still got in the mire and the muck. There's still bad code written in there. As Lauren's talking about, they just found out deep within her account was the stuff that was deep within my account. So it exists. So that's why Elon's job is so complex. It's why he described this thing as a Jenga that you know you pull out one piece and you think you've got a stable product and then next thing you know the thing collapses on you or that tiramisu cake metaphor that he used. So there is a lot to do here. Uh, it continued. Here's uh, Representative Jim Jordan and he has been waiting for this for a long time. He is, I've had him on the show a couple of times. He has been waiting for the moment uh, he would be able to, to grill some execs on the Hunter Biden situation. So the FBI didn't tell you uh, that, the, that it was fake, didn't tell you that it was hacked. Uh, and, and Mr. Roth, did the, did the story violate your policies? In my judgment at the time, no, it did not. Yeah, that's what you said. Said what I would propose, uh, excuse me, as you said, it isn't clearly a violation of our hack materials policy, nor is it clearly a violation of anything else. So I think what a lot of people are wondering is if it didn't violate your policies, and they didn't tell you it was fake, didn't tell you it was hacked. Why'd you take it down? The company made a decision that found that it did violate the policy. It wasn't my personal judgment at the time that it did, but the decision was communicated you know, to me by my direct supervisor. And ultimately, I didn't disagree with it enough to object to you know, you know what? You know what I think happened, Mr. Roth? I think, I think you guys got played. I think you guys wanted to wanted to take it deep down. We saw what the chairman put up where you said, you know, everyone in the White House is, an, is a fascist. I think you guys wanted it to be taken down. I think you meet with these guys every week. We know that's been established in the Twitter files. You had weekly meetings with Mr. Chan in the run-up to the election. They send you all kinds of emails. They send you documents on the super secret James Bond teleporter. You get information on that. I think you guys wanted to take it down. I think you guys got played by the FBI. So Jim Jordan's doing something pretty clever here that gets to the heart of this. So the, the question, did you guys violate policy? Well, Yoel Roth is saying uh, we, didn't, we didn't violate policy until, until the higher-ups forced me to do it. That's why I don't want to purely scapegoat this one random guy, right? I'm not defending him in any way. But who, who is his direct supervisor? Now, if he was the head of trust and safety, I'm guessing his supervisor might be Jack, the CEO, or whoever that is, that's the guy they have to haul in next to figure this out, right? Because again, if it was the boss man, the head supervisor who got the call from the government, then there's your smoking gun. So they're getting close. Like they actually are getting close to something. Again, will anything come of this? I have no freaking idea, but we're starting, we're starting to get that puzzle I'm always talking about. Man, it's starting to, the pieces are coming together and we're starting to see what actually we've been putting together here the entire time. I also think Jim Jordan's right that you got played, meaning what he means by that is you guys had your own biases. You would have loved to take the Hunter Biden laptop thing down because you wanted Joe to get elected. You would have done anything 
that you wanted to uh, to do to get Trump out of the White House, et cetera, you got played, meaning once there was enough smoke, and even though the smoke was not real, but once it was sort of there and you felt some pressure, then you didn't even have to abide by your own policies. Again, this, this Yoel Roth guy, he was the head of trust and safety. He's the one in the email that Jim Jordan right there is quoting, basically saying it doesn't violate our policies, but there was enough there that, you know, they can just kind of push you in the right way. Okay, interesting. Uh, Jim Jordan then last night went on Tim Pool's podcast, which they shot from Lauren Boebert's office. A lot of names here. Uh, and they mentioned a little something about me and Elon and what else has been going on over there. There are these apps you can use where you enter your name and it'll tell you the various filters that exist. But even Dave Rubin just mentioned Elon Musk just showed him new ones. They discovered new filters. So one of the questions I asked too that you made me think of this too, I asked this question um, and I, I didn't fully understand it, but, but I asked if they were hard coding into any specific accounts to censor them. So they're like targeting that specific user. Uh, and it was interesting how Yoel Roth kind of, and I want to go back and look at the transcript to see exactly how he said it because he really didn't answer that square um, that either. I agree. One of the things we want to do with, with legislation that we're, we're planning on work, uh, doing with Energy and Commerce Committee is anything they do to your account, they have to tell you. There has to be real transparency. There has to be a time frame. There has to be a due process so that you can correct it, figure out what it is, have the debate and correct it within a specified amount of time. And then if they don't, then you should have some kind of cause of action because they're violating a contract that they have with you, their user, their customer. Okay, so I like the end of that, right? He's talking about the, the user agreement we all sign. That means you have responsibilities, they have responsibilities. You know, sort of like when you buy a product and that product blows up in your face, they might be held accountable for that. Uh, I do, and we will reach out to Jim Jordan's team immediately after the show. We put this thing together on the fly today. When he's talking about, is it hardwired to, to people's specific accounts? I know that the answer is yes, because when we did the deep dive into my account, they found things that were just on my account. And then they, they also found that they were on other people's accounts as well, but meaning they were going, it was account specific. We don't like Dave Rubin. We're gonna attach this stuff related to misinformation and uh, be uh, what was like, it was literally like being mean and like a couple other things. Uh, so we know that it is hardwired in there and that's why it's so difficult to, uh, to take out. And uh, I will, will get that to Jim Jordan. Jim, are you watching? Well, uh, this is for you, dude. Anyway, if you wanna see how ridiculous this is and how the lies get laundered. So we started with AOC basically mocking the entire hearing, not being upset that people's First Amendment rights were infringed on, again, because if the government, which it sounds like it was, these FBI agents were pressuring people's speech to be taken off Twitter, that is a violation of the First Amendment. She doesn't care about that. She, she confuses the issue related to the, to the uh, laptop as if it is not real, we know it is real, and it's all you know right-wing conspiracy and everything else. Well, how does that sort of lie then get laundered through the system? Well, the way it does is that when you turn on CNN tonight, and God bless you, I know you're not gonna do it, but if you have an NPC cousin, who watches NBC, uh, CNN or NBC, Nightly News or whatever it might be tonight, they're not gonna see anything about these hearings. What they are going, if they, if they get anything, it'll be a little bit of the AOC. AOC didn't believe that the hearings were worth hearing at all. On MSNBC, here is Joe Scarborough and Jen Psaki. You like how Jen Psaki has somehow made a return to this show? How did this happen? I thought we buried her bones like Freddy Krueger. You know, if you bury the bones, they don't come back. But anyway, she's still here. Uh, and here's their analysis of what happened. Analysis, please. These things never, ever produce the punch they expect. No, I mean, and to go back to Mike Markle's earlier point, I mean, this is like a word salad of right-wing craziness, right? I mean, and if you are just a normal person, 80% of the country, by the way, that is not on Twitter, and you're hearing things like Durham, woke mobs, many of the sentences in Sarah Huckabee Sanders' speech the other night, you you tune in and you think, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, yeah. I, am, I have to go buy eggs, uh, my healthcare is too expensive, uh, my prescription drugs are too expensive. Uh, I'm not sure about gas. It seems down, but I don't want it to go up. And it just feels very far away. So in a strange way, the, this Republican strategy right now has made them seem like this like right-wing elite society that is not connected with what is actually happening in the country. 
God, she is just awful. I'm gonna have to rearrange my list of awful people. She just moved up a couple notches because Corinne Jean-Pierre, we do so much on her. She had kind of jumped her, but if she's back, if Saki is back, baby, I'm, I'm moving her up the thing. Like she's, she's no one's beaten Joy Reid, but she might be in Sunny Hostin level at this point. We're gonna have to get the whole chart out. Uh, the thing is, I have so many women of the view on that thing. It, maybe it's not fair. You got, you got your Anna in here. Anyway, um, it's interesting because Jen Psaki is seemingly upset that people are not happy with prices of eggs and gas prices and the price of health care. Uh, remind me, guys, who's the uh, president of the United States? What's, what's his name again? Joseph R. Biden. And who worked for him? A few months. Jen Psaki. These people are such epic clowns. And also that Joe Scarborough is saying these things never pack the punch they want. How much more of a punch do you want than a member of Congress saying, I have evidence? that you, this giant tech company, were censoring me before an election, and I have evidence from the company itself, and we know that government agents were working with the company to do it. There was collusion with the FBI. How is that not packing a punch? What he means by that is, I'm going to ignore the important things so I can put on this hack sake to babble about some irrelevant bullshit. This is Watergate level stuff, honestly. It really is. It really is. Uh, but if you want to see what Saki does, I know it's an oldie but a goodie. Here's Saki in July of 21 admitting that this is exactly what they do, which is why she wants to, you to focus on the prices of eggs right now, which again are the fault of her former boss. Uh, this is a big issue of misinformation, specifically on the pandemic. In terms of actions, Alex, that uh, we have taken or we're working to take, I should say, from the federal government, uh, we've increased uh, disinformation research and tracking uh, within the Surgeon General's office. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. We're working with doctors and medical professionals to connect uh, to connected medical experts with popular with popular who are popular with their audiences with. Uh, with accurate information and boost trusted content. So we're helping get trusted content out there. You get it, guys? Like, she did it. They flagged posts for Facebook, for Twitter. God only knows what's going on on YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why they don't want you to cover this story because that, that paid bounty hunter liar for the White House, Saki, now pretends to be a news analyst at MSNBC. How freaking ridiculous. And they do it all right in front of our faces. That's why my challenge to Republicans, my challenge to Jim Jordan and Lauren Boebert and Kevin McCarthy and all of you people is this is the time you cannot let them get away with it. They cannot get away with it now. Find out whole Saki in front of Congress and make her explain what that whole thing about flagging meant and how Facebook, we know this now, Facebook had this back end way that government officials could contact Facebook employees and vice versa. So this stuff is happening, they've admitted it, but the, the machine will launder the lies because it's a giant shell game. Every time you think you know that the ball is under that shell, they shuffle it real quick and they get you, dis they get you distracted on some other issue. We're gonna stay focused on that one. Holy schmoly. Let's get to some rubenreport.locals.com community Q&A questions. And I guess there'll be something about something like this. We shall see. Amy says, uh, with Disney streaming subscription cancellations, movies flopping in the theaters and stock prices in decline, do you have any hope that they will abandon their woke indoctrination in the near future? And if so, should we forgive them and start opening our wallets for them once again or shut the door on them permanently? What was the number? I saw a tweet on this this morning. I think Disney has lost 2.4 million Disney Plus subscribers. They just announced they're going to have massive, massive layoffs um, because people have had it with the woke nonsense. By the way, we didn't get to cover it this week, uh, but you know the DeSantis fight with Disney, uh, he got rid of their airport. He got rid of their tax breaks. There's a whole bunch more. There's going to be a board, a government-appointed board that will deal specifically with Disney issues. They are not going to have a carte blanche to do whatever the hell they want anymore, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, 2.4 million people canceled Disney+. Plus. So Disney+, Plus, if I don't know how much Disney+, Plus was. Let's say it was $6.99 a month, something roughly like that. 2.4 million people a month go a year on that thing, it's a lot of cash. And now they're, they're uh, firing people. To your point though about, what, so what do we do after? Like if they start turning this stuff around, I'm not that interested in giving these guys my money. 
I'm not. I, I Look, I still have Hulu. Hulu put out the 1619 Project. I got the Golden Girls on there. I just need the Golden Girls DVDs. Guys, my birthday's in June. And I need a DVD player now, too. Shit. It's a lot. But everyone should be using their dollar, their purchase power, in a way that's congruent with their beliefs and their life. Like, you don't want to fund. It's one thing for these things to be out there. Uh, actively working against you and your beliefs. It's another thing to be funding them while they do it. Uh, it's about $200 million a month, uh, sorry, $20 million a month that Disney lost on these subscriptions, about 140 a year, 140 million. Look, that does that for a company like Disney, that is not an unbelievable amount. Uh, but they've also had several fa failures. You know, Star Wars land absolutely sucked. Um, they, they have this, other, like a lot of their stuff is not quite working and parents have just had it and you can find other things to do with your kids. So I, I don't think, look, if they genuinely turned around and it's not to say they can't make anything good. Like I, I actually can't think of any, is there anything, what's the last Disney thing that you think was good? Like, I don't know, like who, who knows with Lion King, what, what year was that? Around 1990 Lion King was pretty good. Like the Lion King. You're, you're a, you like that, uh. Little Mermaid, don't you? I feel like you're a Little Mermaid guy. Robin Hood, you're a Robin Hood guy. Anyway, the point is don't fund your own demise. Elizabeth says, have you found the things that you, uh, have you found the things that you love most about David and vice versa have changed since the boys were born? I found that to be true with my husband after Izzy's arrival. Well, you know, it's like, it's like so much changes. Like my life has just changed in a way that I can't fully describe. Like it, it not, there's the obvious reasons like that the sleep is disturbed. And I'm, when I, in between the show from, you know, we wrap up the show here. Usually your lunch arrives in 20 minutes. I get, I get a quick 20 minutes with the kids. I start my day with them. Maybe there's a diaper change or I can walk. We took a nice long walk today with the, with the double stroller. And now Luke's growing so fast that they, they really are looking like twins at this point. Um, but is there anything specific about David? He's just done an unbelievable job. Like, I get it. We don't have a, a woman here, right? We're two dudes. That's different. That, that's a little weird. I actually accept that. That's, that's out of the norm. It absolutely is. It doesn't mean it's, it doesn't mean it's worse. And it doesn't mean it's better. It, it's whatever we make it to be. And we do have a lot of female influences around. We've had both grandmothers around and David's sister has been around and my sister has three kids and she lives in Miami. Um, and we're doing the best we can on all those things. But he has just done an, a freaking unbelievable job on all accounts. These We had the, the pediatrician, because we have two of them, it's a pain in the butt to, to be taking them different pediatrician appoints, appointments. So we have a pediatrician that comes to the house and she was so, she came yesterday or the day before, she was so impressed with these kids, the growth, their, their dispositions, the amount that they're eating, every, they're, they're, they're like off the charts on everything. And uh, so far so good, but I guess we will revisit this in about 18 years. Uh, Daisy says, discounting all sports, what is your dream job? I mean, honestly, I'm doing it. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and I wake up every day and I have purpose and I love doing it. And I feel like I'm being rewarded accordingly for it. Kind of like spiritually nourishing, but also financially and building good things. I'm, I'm doing, I've told you guys many times before in my high school yearbook, everyone said I was going to host the Tonight Show. It's like, well, I didn't do that, but this is pretty close, pretty close, close enough. Uh, Fred says, I believe the bifurcation of the country is founded in a basic disparity in the perceived value of being American. How can we increase pride and value of being an American in individuals using actions and programs, not debate? Even something as simple as advertising our positive activities could have a meaningful impact on citizen sentiment. This is a great point because look, the, the political layer of this maybe cannot get solved. How, how do I solve for an AOC, right? Someone who personally, professionally, her belief set, the, her behavior, her ideas, they're so profoundly different than mine. Now she happens to be a Congresswoman in, uh, in New York. She should have virtually nothing to do with my life here in Florida, but Congress people, they do have some national, well, you're seeing it today, these congressional hearings, they have some power over us, even if you live 3000 miles away from them, right? You can live in Cali, Florida, 3,000 miles, but somehow Eric Swalwell does have some influence, let's say on the intelligence committee, which he's no longer on, over your life because you do live in America. I don't know how we put those things together, but I would say to your point, the best thing you can do is just be a little better than them. 
it, it sounds cliche, but it's so true. First off, it's not hard. They're hysterical and angry and they don't know what they're talking about. And one of the things that I think helped me along uh, this political journey is that as I talked to more conservative leaning people or libertarians or whatever it might be, I just thought they were nicer and, and more pleasant and honestly looked better. And I don't mean that at a superficial level. I mean it at a, oh, you take care of yourself level. Uh, where the other side, uh, there's a reason that so many of the wokesters look so ridiculous and, and awful and out of shape and all that stuff. Uh, and it's because they don't believe in personal responsibility. So I don't know that we can fix this all at the political level. Uh, I think there are certainly signs for it. That was the point of the whole first half of today's show. Um, but we can fix it at the sort of individual and then community level. I think that's it. Uh, Joe says, it seems like the Supreme Court will repeal affirmative action for college enrollment, specifically in regards to the Students for Fair Admissions, Inc. versus Harvard case. While the case is still ongoing and the ruling has not been released, most pundits feel the policy will be abolished. What are your thoughts on the topic? I am completely against affirmative action. Affirmative action is racism of another name. The basic idea, and this is what lefties do with everything. Okay, black people suffered some level of oppression and that is true, slavery did happen. Then of course the welfare state came in and destroyed their families and kept people in cycles of poverty and everything else. Many people got out of that. There were millions and millions of black people doing really well and they were doing really, really well under Donald Trump. But when you come in and you say a hiring process, at a company or an admissions process at a university, which is, this is, that's what that case is specifically. We'll look at the color of skin. The average lefty is like, oh, that's good. Like, okay, black people should get a leg up and we should do something for them. And they don't think about it beyond that. But we, all you have to do is think about it for one more second. If a school has a hundred slots and says, well, first off, they seem to love quotas. They love this idea of we should have X amount of this and X amount of that and X amount of this. It's like. All right, well, then you just want, first of all, it's, it's racist and bananas in and of itself. But once you say we have 100 slots and 80 of those slots now must go to black people, let's say, well, you are punishing the Asian kid who has been busting his butt for years, whose parents came here with nothing. They taught him about hard work and education and he did after school activities and didn't get into trouble and did it all by the books. And you are, you are uh, discriminating against that kid and then what do you think a kid who has been discriminated against in a society will do with the rest of his life? He might be pretty resentful of it and it would be well worth it. So the only playing field that you can have is an even playing field if, if you wanna set up society for success. And that encourages everybody to work as hard as they possibly can. But once you say this color skin, those genitals, whatever it might be, are gonna get this person in, you will degrade the product. You will not get the best of the best. And, and why does that matter for society? Well, let's say uh, you're going to Harvard and now Harvard has decided instead of hiring just blindfolded, here uh, admitting the best 100 kids. Well, now they've got a disparity. There's some kids that sh definitely shouldn't have got there and they've taken kids who definitely should have gotten in and they don't get in. Now, these kids are going to grad school, right? Some of them wanna be, I don't know, pre-med, let's say. They're pre-med undergrad. Now they wanted to get into grad school. They want to be a doctor. Well, they got in with lesser grades. Now they get to pre-med with lesser grades. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Now they're getting out of pre-med and they're going to get their first, uh, they want to, they're going to be an intern at a, at a hospital, whatever it might be. And then they're in competition there and they look at their skin color and they go, oh, you better get in. Well, now they got into undergrad, grad, and the job entry at a lower level on everything. And then one day they're performing heart surgery and you don't have the best heart surgeon. You have the guy that was given every opportunity. It does not inherently mean he's bad. Certainly does, does not. I would not care whether my heart surgeon or my airline pilot is black, white, or anything else until you idiots make us care. You make us care because you've said we will not hire the best people to do the most important work. Uh, we will actually hire people based on these immutable characteristics. And then what that causes is a slow, uh, destruction of the functionality of society and nothing will work properly because all of the best people will self-select out or they'll move to Florida. James says, now that we're in the 2024 election campaign season, which Republican will step up to run against Donald Trump? Uh, there are many good candidates uh, for a running mate. Which one would he pick? Well, we know that uh, for sure that um, Nikki Haley's getting involved. Uh, it looks like Mike Pompeo is gonna get involved. Obviously, DeSantis is the X factor here. I think maybe Tim Scott 
could get involved. It sounds like Larry Elder is going to get involved. Like there's going to be some interest. There's always like a random billionaire who gets involved. Like there's going to be some interesting jockeying there. And I think it'll be, it'll be a nice battle on that side. As I keep telling you, the, the main issue is what Trump wants to do here. It seems to me he's lost a lot of momentum, a lot of support. It's not that people don't like the message. It's not that people don't like uh, make America great again. It's not that people don't think he did a way better job than Trump. I think there's a feeling it's partly age, but it's also that his time has gone, uh, that the machine maybe wouldn't let him be elected again, uh, that we've seen the most amount of votes he could get. How can he bring in new people? Who's going to suddenly be like, ah, I've come around on Donald Trump. Um, and, and that would all lead you to think that someone like DeSantis is the standard bearer for that. And I would love to see those guys work together. By the way, I think you can make arguments against DeSantis as well. As a Floridian, I can make a very clear one, which is that the freaking federal machine is evil and we've got the best guy here. Why give our best guy to the federal machine to be chewed up and spit out? That as a, as a Floridian is a, is a really strong argument to stay here. The argument against that is, well, we're in a freaking battle for Western society and we better put our best guys on the chessboard and this is our best guy. So let's see what, what can happen there. But would he be as effective in, in all of the world affairs? That, that, is he the force of nature that Trump is? Probably not quite. Uh, is he possibly more um, competent than Trump and would staff better than Trump? Probably. So there's pros and cons to all of these guys. I just don't want the mutually assured destruction with them. And I have to say that watching Trump over the last week or so, I haven't even been covering it on the show because I don't even want to give it air, really. Uh, he's saying really awful, ridiculous things about DeSantis. And it's like, dude, if that's the way you're going to go out, that you're going to take our best guy and just level crazy accusations and scorched earth on him, like, I'm not that impressed with that either. All that said, there is a way I could end up voting for him and we will see what happens. Uh, I happen to like Nikki Haley. I was very impressed with Pompeo. Some of the foreign policy stuff on Ukraine wasn't my thing, but I thought as a, as a communicator, uh, I thought he was quite good. He was friendlier than I anticipated. Uh, and we'll see who else gets, gets involved. Uh, Liberty says, I've never heard you really talk much about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. As someone who leans libertarian on most of the issues, I'd assume financial freedom and decentralization would be things that you support. I think allowing government to get so involved in banking was a terrible idea, but was a necessity at the time. Is it time for a new option, a trustless system? Love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, we've done a couple little shows on Bitcoin over the years, and I've mentioned things here and there. First off, the, the general idea of decentralization, not having one Fed that controls all the rates and all the money and one bank in charge of everything. And it doesn't, you don't even have to do this just at a financial level, like a media that is truly centralized the way our media seems to be centralized. We've seen the decentralization of media, YouTube, Rumble, all of these things popping up and now there are new voices, hopefully that are giving you something a little more true than, than the nonsense that the centralized systems pump out. Uh, you always wonder why, how do, how do all these seemingly good people start barking the same epic bullshit over and over. And it's because it's, it's just centralized thought. Uh, humans are meant to be decentralized, having systems of individuals that kind of come together to build things and go up this way. That's why it's always so hilarious when Biden talks about his bottom up and middle out economy. And it's like, no, it's the other way for you, dude. I know he doesn't know which way's up. So is what it is. On the, on the crypto side, the idea of, of payments, decentralized payments that are end to end, meaning you want to buy something from me. I want to buy something from you. I can send you this digital currency. You can store it. You can save it as you see fit. There is no way because it's decentralized for someone to come in and freeze your account or take it from you. Uh, like what was basically happening in Canada with freezing of bank accounts that you could basically have commerce, have exchange, barter with people outside of the system. That is very good. We've got a little bit of Bitcoin. I've got some of the other stuff, which most of it's not uh, doing too hot these days. And uh, yeah, I would recommend people just learn more about it. But we also need, it's not just decentralization on the financial side. You know, uh, decentralized video is something that Rumble is working on and Locals has been working on for a long time. But all these things, they're fraught with, with difficulties because once something is decentralized, so if you put a decentralized video out on the internet, meaning it lives on all these different computers. And if one goes down, it, another one jumps in and helps and keeps it up. So it, it basically exists forever. On one hand, that sounds nice. It's like, okay, YouTube couldn't shut me off tomorrow if we were fully decentralized right now. That's, that's spectacular. But now what if it was something horrific? What if it was a snuff film? What if it was child porn? Do you want that to never be able to be taken down? Uh, so these are a lot of the issues that we've been grappling with when we're, when we're trying to figure out what direction we want to go with Rumble and Locals. Uh, Talway says, I've always wondered 
Uh, who are three people Dave has never had the opportunity to interview, but has always wanted and why? I've answered versions of this question before. I mean, George Lucas, I still, I, I still would love to talk to him about the creation of Star Wars, the political messaging behind it, what it was like to sell to Disney. Does he regret any of that? What's it like to, to create something that is the thing of dreams and then watch your own fan base go after you, but then also have, have give it away out of somewhat level of frustration, but become super unbelievably wealthy in the process, but then see the guys you sold it to run it into the ground. Like there's so much there related to art and human drive on top of all the cool science fiction stuff and all that. Uh, so that's one for sure. Elon, obviously at this point, like I have never interviewed him. I've sat with him, but I've never interviewed him. And I think that would be absolutely spectacular. And I'll give you one a little bit, uh, a little bit out there. Uh, I don't know how many more years she'll have on this earth. I would love, love, love it. She doesn't do much press anymore. And I think she lives in Switzerland. I would love to sit down with Tina Turner. Um, there is a documentary on HBO. I think it's called I, Tina, or it might just be called Tina. She's just, I just love her story. This girl that came from Nutbush, Tennessee with nothing. She marries Ike, you know, she gets in the band. They have this horrific, insanely abusive relationship. If you've seen the movie, What's Love Got to Do With It? I mean, they get into it. It's a book, I think, as well. Um, but she perseveres and she survives and she gets rid of him. And then she launches this incredible rock and roll career for another 40 years and this, this worldwide sensation. And, and what I love about it, and it's a true story at the end of the movie, uh, it's, it's just so great. She's in this divorce with Ike, right? And he's beating the shit out of her, beating the, the crap out of their kids. She, he was horribly abusive. He was a drug addict, all this stuff. And they're trying to decide what they're going to do with the divorce. And she said to her lawyer, I don't want anything. I mean, there's millions of dollars. There's record labels. They own There's all this stuff. She says, I don't want anything except my name. Meaning that he named her Tina Turner. Ike Turner named her Tina Turner. Her name was Anna Mae Bullock. And she said, I want to stay as Tina Turner. And that's all she got after the divorce and then created this amazing thing. Like, I just love the story. I just love it. Uh, Steve says, might we get an update to a question you have answered previously? If Governor DeSantis does run for president in 2024, would you be helping him in the campaign? When he got elected, would you accept an invitation to be part of his cabinet? Remember, you are now a dad of two, which changes everything. Any idea of what David would think of it? Well, on the, on the dad front and all that, I, I love Florida. Have I, have I mentioned that on the show before? I think maybe I said it once a couple weeks ago, something nice about Florida. I, I love, love, love our life here. We're, we're building something so great. We, this house that we live in, we've been doing a lot of work on and I just love this place. I love our community here. Um, I love fighting for this state and all those things. So the idea of being part of an administration where I'd be either living in DC or having to go to DC every week and all that, like that honestly is not appealing to me just on the personal front and being away from the kids and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's just like the technical part on, on the back end. On, on the first part of it, um, look, I, I think he is the best guy we got. Notwithstanding anything I just said, the good things that I said about Trump and you know, yesterday we, uh, we played, you know, we did the State of the Union recap and we played Trump's State of the Unions at the end, two clips. And it's like, man, that was a hell of a lot better than what we got now. But, I, but DeSantis to me is the best guy that we got. And again, do you send the best guy out to the battlefield knowing he doesn't, he maybe doesn't come back or he's irreparably harmed or that battle cannot be won, meaning the federal battle, like that thing. I don't know, that's a, that's a choice that they're gonna have to make. But let's just say it all happened. Let's say he became president. Would I be, I would try to be involved in some way. I mean, I think the way I'm involved now is probably the best possible way. Like I'm not in cahoots with the, with the campaign anyway. I'm not paid by the campaign in any way. Like I'm just waking up they're doing the right thing and I get to talk about it. That, that's pretty beautiful. So everyone kind of finds their lane within these things. But if they called me and they wanted, you know, press secretary, like I could, you think I could do what John, Corinne Jean-Pierre does? I could do it. I, I feel like I'd look pretty good in that red dress with, the, uh, with those shoulder pads. Might be a bit much, we'll see. Uh, Kwanzi says, I think you said you'd uh, go to the gathering in London that Jordan Peterson's heading up the WEF opposition group. What kind of role do you see yourself doing within that? So if you're not sure what he's referring to, Jordan is doing a conference. It's a, it's a little amorphous at the moment. They're putting the pieces together. Looks like it's gonna be October in London. It is going to be a massive conference that he wants real people to attend, not just the elites. Real people can actually show up and watch and be part of what's going on. Uh, they're gonna do this in London to counter the WEF, to do the bottom-up version of what the, the WEF is doing from the top down. 
Um, so what will my involvement be? I'm not sure yet. I discussed it briefly with Jordan. Obviously I could host panels, would probably be a very easy way of doing things, make some jokes, jokes up front, kind of welcome everybody there. Maybe I'll do some interviews or whatever it might be. Uh, it's, it's really in the early stages of putting this together, but I will help Jordan in any way that I possibly can. If there's something that I will be useful for, I will do it. And, uh, and hopefully, hopefully I'll get to meet a bunch of you guys there and, and the people will start making decisions for the people. Uh, Iliad says, everything is infected with this demonic political pathology. I know people who didn't know what gen, I, I know people who didn't know what gender dysphoria existed now support the sexual mutilation of children. What will ever wake them up? Oh, I know people who didn't know that, uh, it existed and now they want to mutilate kids. Yeah, it's wild. It's really wild. Like the, the trans one is the wildest because it's like, if you would have said to anyone 20 years ago, like we're going to have this mass sort of social contagion where a whole bunch, it's mostly young girls that want to become young boys. Uh, they're going to want to take puberty blockers and chop their breasts off and all of this stuff. And that parents are going to want to do it. In many cases, parents would encourage it. Schools would talk to these kids about it privately, call them other names, use these ridiculous pronouns. All of the cultural machinery of a society would push everyone in that direction. If you would have known that 20 years ago, you would have said you were nuts and it is here and it is here. And you're, you're very right. People who did not know this was a thing two years ago are now cheering it on in the name of decency and tolerance. And you guys just wait, you just, you just wait. All of you parents who are doing this, who are doing this to feed some weird, really deep thing in you, some endless black hole in you. You just wait till your, till your kid, your 13 year old daughter, who's now a 15 year old boy, who's still struggling with whatever he might be struggling with. Uh, you just wait till he's 27 and uh, has physical and mental scars because of what you've done. And you, you didn't act as the parent, you acted as an advocate for quote unquote science. You just find out, wait, let's push it past 27. Now they're 67 and you're 87 and they're about to put you in the old age home. They're not gonna put you in the nice one, you know that. You're not going to grand old people castle. You're going to Shady Pines, motherfucker. Okay. Richard says, when you observe the positions that the far left Dems take on society, do you have flashbacks to your time as a Democrat voter and the point where you threw your hands up and tapped out? I do, I think about it a lot because I, I cannot believe that although the Democrats were certainly not as radical and, and crazed then as they are now. I cannot believe that like a guy like Biden would have been sensible to me 20 years ago. Like I, I wonder if, if even if I went 10 years back, so I'm a, I'm a lefty now and I'm still a Democrat, I think I would have been looking at someone like AOC like this doesn't make much sense. And actually much of my awakening had to do with the hysteria of these people. I started noticing the hysteria very early on uh, and AOC is a great example of the hysteria. So I, I don't know that I would have ever been on board with her, but, but the sort of just like middle of the road kind of says the right thing, but gets everything wrong Democrat like Biden, I probably would have been in on that. But if you want to really know the answer to that, uh, just this week, we put up a compilation video of my four uh, PragerU videos uh, with a little bit of, uh, of new content in between my commentary on what was going on in the world over these past six years. And you can find out sort of what I was thinking then versus what I was thinking now. And uh, Chris, let's put the link to that in the description. I'm talking to my guy, Chris, through the computer machine right now. Can you do that for me, Chris? In the description, let's put that PragerU link. Uh, Miss Mama Panda says, any plans to go, to, to go watch a SpaceX launch? I can see them from my house. However, I want to see it up close. Justin or Luke may want to be an astronaut. That, listen, I got the Elon connection right now. Maybe I can get one of these kids to be an astronaut. I would go to Mars. I really would. I think... Maybe I do the show a couple more years and then, you know, hopefully SpaceX has continued and Elon's like, all right, we can take X amount of people. I mean, I would want to take the family, but like, right, that's going to be the problem. They're going to want to take a lot of single people and, and, and couples maybe without kids with a bunch of fertilized embryos that they're going to plant there. Then an alien is going to infect one of them and then take over the ship. You, you've seen the movie. Um, but I would do that sort of thing. Anyway, I don't think I can go. Where is it? Where'd we say it was again? It's in... Yeah, it's near Orlando on the coast over there, obviously. It's a couple hours up, but I think I'm away that weekend. But, you know, they'll, they'll keep doing more of these things. Um, Rich says, who are the top three front runners to be the next governor of Florida? Well, it's interesting because uh, there is a chance that DeSantis does not finish the term and, and makes the move on the presidential thing. 
Uh, but either way, uh, there will be another election at some point. Uh, I think that I think the three big ones right now are uh, Jimmy Petronas, who I, I don't think you guys have heard. M many of you have not heard of, certainly if you don't live in Florida, but he's the CFO, the chief financial officer of Florida. Uh, I think he's got a really bright future in front of him. I like him. He's had a lot to do with the reconstruction after Hurricane Ian. Uh, strikes me as a decent guy, and I think he could be good. He seems kind of television ready, and, and he's a fighter. Speaking of a fighter, I think Byron Donalds, who you, you definitely know now if you've been watching the show, I've interviewed him a few times, congressman from Southwest Florida, really good dude, and, and I basically asked him, and he said, there's probably only one job for me after this, and that's governor of Florida. He didn't quite say governor of Florida, but it was implied. Uh, maybe Francis Suarez, who's now the mayor of Miami, uh, who I think would obviously make a great governor. He may have presidential ambitions on his own. Uh, there's a couple options there. Jeanette Nunez, who is our uh, uh, lieutenant governor, uh, I think she could be quite good. So I, Florida, the thing with Florida is, and, and one of the reasons I'm somewhat willing to, to back the DeSantis for president thing, if it's gonna happen, is I feel like Florida is gonna be okay. The people really have learned the right lessons here. Our, our politics make sense. Our systems here are working. I don't think DeSantis would just be like, all right, I'm going to be the president, I'm out of here. He loves this freaking state. I think he would make sure that it would make sense whoever would follow him and what policies would come after that and the rest of it. So, but we'll see, we'll see if it, if it uh, comes to fruition. Uh, Geller says, one of the reasons that news channels are corrupt is that they're not pay for use. So the user gets the service for free, advertisers pay the costs and the channel isn't beholden to the user to be truthful. Locals addresses this by making the channel accountable to the users, but are there other areas that are or should be going pay for use? You know, the pay for use thing is interesting. Look, my feeling with locals was that, first off, I, I'm independent. And what I wanted to make sure was, I am not reliant on YouTube or anything else for all my rev, because on any given moment, they could not only close my channel, they can demonetize us, they can cut our ads, they can depress us in the algorithm. There was no way to run a functional business like that. So by me creating locals, uh, and shout out to those of you that are, are joining us right now, I'm reading your questions at rubenreport.locals.com. Uh, Daphne, you wanna take a picture of me and take a backstage picture of me right now and post it in the locals chat, just for the locals people. Could you do that for me? Um, my feeling was that if we, if the only way we could truly go independent was if I was only beholden to my audience. What was interesting about that is you also don't want to be captured by your audience, meaning you don't want to know that your audience only thinks this one thing and thus you must cater to that one thing all the time. I've really, really tried not to do that. When I've, when I've been out on the road, book tour and whatever, and I meet you guys and people will always say, people say this to me probably more than anything else. Well, they say two things. They go, Dave, you, you, you help keep me sane. That's probably the number one I get. And number two is, Dave, I don't agree with everything you say, but I still love you, something like that. And it's like, great, that's freaking fantastic. And that also helps me not get captured. For example, I, I'm, I'm really okay with the 15 week abortion thing. I have a feeling most of my audience is not. So most of my audience in that case is more conservative than I am, let's say. And there might be some other issues like that. I think what you guys respect about me is the, is the that you see that I'm doing my best to tell you something true amidst the madness. And the fact that people wanna throw in a few dollars to keep that going so we can keep growing and doing everything that we're doing and, and you know pay everybody nicely and all of that is, is absolutely wonderful. Uh, but to your point on advertisers and how the, the news channels then are not beholden to the user, it's interesting because so CNN, think about it, CNN. CNN needs views, they need clicks. So they have to get people interested in certain things. When were CNN's ratings the highest they ever were? It was during Trump. And this is the perverse nature of the business. In a weird way, the system wants Trump to come back because they will get views and they will get clicks. And then they will lie about all the things related to Trump and he'll give them pr plenty of fodder for that as well. But that is a match made in hell. And actually, I think that does explain a lot of the dissent that we've been on. If there was just a guy who came in, and it's interesting because this is sort of DeSantis, but DeSantis is also a fighter and they're trying to make him into Trump. But if there was a guy who just came in and he was just like, you know, here are my policies. I believe in America. I want to kind of get out of your way. We don't want any of this woke crazy stuff. I believe in reality. That's my stuff, you know, and I'm going to go about and do my business. The media would not know what to do with that guy. And I think that there's a DeSantis version of that.
they wouldn't know what to do with him because it's like, wait a minute, that's sanity and decency and not keeping everyone, you know, tapped in and drugged by the system. That's not good for the bottom line. And I would never want to be uh, someone that was feeding that monster. I, re I really try not to. I really try not to. But yeah, the, the selective pressures on advertising versus subscription and everything else, it, it can make it quite uh, difficult. You know, we're going to do a post-game show. Speaking of locals, we're doing a post-game show in just a moment. If you have not had enough of me, there's more to come. RubenReport.Locals.com. If you haven't subscribed on Rumble, please go ahead and do that. Rumble.com slash RubenReport. Part two of my interview with Dr. Robert Malone. It's quite chilling. I mean, some of what he says about what he thinks. He, he thinks we have not seen the worst when it comes to the vaccine injuries yet. As a matter of fact, I think I said to him, I said, have we seen the worst? He said, it's not that I fear it. I know it. I mean, pretty freaking chilling. Uh, all right, we're going to leave you with a cold close, a little Joe Biden, a little Jill Biden for you at rubenreport.locals.com in just a sec. So anyway, I hope you have a good rest of the night. Did they bring alcohol in here? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's alcohol. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. You can watch the show live every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern and 8 a.m. Pacific on Rumble, Locals, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. And you can join me for the post-game wrap-up every day after the show at rubinreport.locals.com.